I'm Kevin Richard. Well, it isn't news that charter schools are growing in Idaho. This fall, another four charters are going to open across the state, bringing the total to 81 charter schools, serving about 10% of the state's student body. So the debate isn't about whether charter schools are here to stay. The debate is about how do charter schools evolve and serve communities and diverse student populations. To take a closer look at this issue, our Devin Bodkin completed a series on charter schools that we ran earlier this summer titled More Choices, More Challenges. Devin joins us on the podcast this week to talk about what he found out. Here's our conversation. Well, Devin, thanks for joining us this week. I did want to catch up with you about the series that you did about uh, charter schools earlier this summer. The story behind the stories is kind of interesting. I mean, you started researching this series back 18 months ago, and then then the pandemic hit. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, how did you sort of get the project back going, and what sort of – did the emphasis change? Did the focus change? What sort of survived in the project, and what sort of changed along the way? Yeah, the, so it was from the, from the outset, it's been trying to – look at the growth of charters in Idaho, because we know that they're no longer an afterthought. You know, they, they serve about 10% of the state's 312,000 students. But um, not just the growth, but, but the challenges that come with charters. And that, that focus kind of, it's, it, we wanted to keep that focus even through the pandemic, but you're right. I mean, I was about halfway through the series and then when COVID came, we it just made sense to to put it on hold, and so some things changed. You know, COVID affected everything, sure, um, educationally, including charters. So, you know, it did. We did see, um, you know, some impacts. One of the big impacts from the uh, from COVID nineteen with charter schools was that, you know, we saw a heavy influx of kids going to virtual schools, mm-hmm. and in Idaho. Most of the virtual schools are charter schools, though that's changed, as you know, uh, with the Oneida School District down in southeastern Idaho. That's the largest online school right, today. A public uh, school that has really embraced becoming mm-hmm. an online vendor, uh, becoming an online portal for students across the state. Right, and that's a, that's a story for us in and of itself that sure. we've been following. But, but aside from that school, uh, charters make up you know, almost all of the state's virtual schools. And so um, we saw a huge influx of kids into those schools, which makes sense because, you know, they had been doing, those schools had been doing virtual learning as opposed to what we saw, uh, you know, a lot of school districts having to adapt and adjust. I think I think families saw value in those schools during the pandemic because they had, you know, that's what they did. They did mm-hmm. it before COVID-19, so. Right, and I had spoken to Kelly Edgington on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about, her year you know, mm-hmm. in the middle of this pandemic, providing virtual learning and building off of what they had already been doing. Let's talk though a little bit about the growth of more brick and mortar charters because that continued even during the pandemic. You had more mm-hmm. schools, more students. What what's driving that? Yeah, um, we saw, and it's interesting in, in light of that too, Kevin, because in traditional schools we saw the first decline in the state's traditional brick and mortar schools for the first time in years. Right. But, you know, so some of the growth in charters was buoyed up by the virtual schools, obviously, because lots of families flocked to them. But we did see growth in the brick and mortar charters, too. And 
we wanted to try to capture that in the series a little bit. And the best way to do that, we thought, was just to go and talk to some of these families. And I was kind of amazed. It's really um, all over the board. You know, charters 20 years ago when they started in Idaho, um, one of the main focuses was to boost educational outcomes, right? Right. Um, give kids an opportunity to to learn more and, and learn more deeply. And I think the appeal for some charters, that that's still it. You know, when you look at some charters like the high-performing Coeur d'Alene Charter Academy up north, for example, that's a big draw. And we did talk to some families from that school. They, you know, for kids who academics is a big part of their lives, that's a big draw. Uh, a charter like that can really push that and set higher standards and have, you know, more rigorous um, standards for, ed- for for outcomes. And that's a big draw. But for some families, it's, it's not even about the academic outcomes. You know, I talked to one mother out here in Eastern Idaho who said, we just like the feel of the school. We like the community. We like the, the culture of the school. That, she did a, a walkthrough um, at Altruist International Academy in Idaho Falls, and she said, it just felt like a good place for my kids to be. Um, for others, it's it might be, you know, it, another school in Idaho Falls has a very patriotic emphasis, um, American Heritage uh, Charter School. Par- some One family with a more conservative bent really liked that, that kids have uh, to wear uniforms. And those uniforms are, you know, the, the colors of the school are red, white, and blue. And there's, there's uh, you know, a heavy emphasis on the Constitution. So it really is just all over the board. Even some low-performing charter schools that we see, families just, they like uh, the, the community, the, the, the culture that the, the school offers, and so they want to send their kids there. Right, and for students, it's uh, the decision to be a charter school student is driven by a lot of different factors as well, right? Yeah, uh, you know, the, a lot of the charters where in a traditional school, the, the sports or, or things like that might be a, might be a drive. Um, charters oftentimes can, they're smaller, they have smaller student bodies. And so you get, you can get more, um, you know, a smaller classroom, but some of the families and students said they feel like they get more one-on-one time with a teacher. Um, and, you know, some of the, some of the charters offer a direct path to a, a career. Um, you know, we, we know that they're, they can really hone in on offering students a certification or specialize in some way. And some kids are really drawn to that. You know, they, they like the idea of being able to, I don't know, uh, build homes right after high school or get a, get a, a start in the medical field right after high school. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the kids gravitate to those kinds of things too, especially in the, the high school students, the younger students, it's often the parents who are making those types sure. of decisions for the kid. But as they get older, they, you know, they see these, these uh, unique opportunities that some of the charter schools offer and they really gravitate to those. And I think this varies from school to school, from community to community. I mean, when the state started with charter schools, you know, back more than 20 years ago, the idea was let's create these schools that will do things that are different, that may operate a little bit differently, that may, may fill a different niche. And whether it's the Coeur d'Alene Academy, which, you know, is really geared towards college-bound students, high-achieving college-bound students, or whether it's a virtual school that's dealing with, a, you know, catering to students who are dealing with maybe some very unique 
family challenges or personal challenges, or even a school like an island park where people just wanted a charter school in their neighborhood in a remote area. I mean, we're seeing some of these schools filling niches, but is that is that happening across the board? You know, charter schools really hitting a, a different niche. Um, you know, I don't think in, in every charter, that's part of the debate here. In talking to some of the, in some superintendents or administrators across the state, including superintendents, one of the issues here, Kevin, is funding, right? Because in Idaho, funding is currently, and this could change, but it's it's handed out on uh, average daily attendance, right? And so mm-hmm. as students flow from charter schools, or excuse me, from traditional schools to charter schools, they're taking dollars with them. And in some communities, one, one thing that's watched is they call it the yield rate, but that's the number of students that in a given district go to charter schools and it fluctuates across the state. Overall, it's about 10% in Idaho. Probably. Right. But in some communities, it's, it's, it's down in the single digits. And in some like uh, Blackfoot, where I live, it's, it's up over 20%, 20% of kids in, in the district are going to a handful of charters. Um, but some administrators say, you know, they don't really see these charters offering anything outside of what the district offers. They might have a focus, you know, say on STEM learning, science, technology, engineering, and math. But you know, some of them say we offer that too. And so that's part of the debate here is uh, charters are 20, over 20 years old in Idaho. And the debate has sort of shifted over the years. Early on, it was whether or not we should allow charters to exist. We're, we're well past that. Charters right. are here. Now, and a lot of a lot of administrators look at it and say, okay, they're here, but why should there be all these charter schools in this area when the school district offers those services? And so that's, that's kind of what the debate has settled on, at least now for a lot of administrators across the state. Right. And it comes down to an issue of choice that in some communities, there's more choice, there are more charters, there are more options for parents. There are still... You know, white swaths of the state that are charter school deserts. Yeah, and in, it, that's I'm glad you brought that up. One thing we wanted to do in the series is give folks an, an easy way to see where these charter schools are located and where they're not located, because it is a struggle. Um, we talk about Bloom, which is uh, there in Boise, a nonprofit that's focused on expanding charters in Idaho, and they've done, you know, you'd have to go into the series and, and read, but they've done some tremendous work doing that. Uh, over over the past few years, they've made a lot of headway, but you know there's some criticism there uh, that some of these charters they still don't exist in in highly rural areas, and uh, so it's a lot of the series focuses on issues of of equity and some of the challenges of giving kids the opportunity to have a choice in every community, and that's just that's not quite there yet in Idaho. Um, and there, you know, there are a lot of things that, that impact that. One thing that we talked about was you know, the challenge of buying up land in, in, in places or getting land to build a school or create a school in an area where, um, you know, it's, it's, it could provide those choices for more kids. A lot of charters are built in more by nature in, in areas where the growth is happening because that's where land is available and it's harder to get a school in some of the areas where you know, it's it, the growth is already established. So there's a lot of challenges that way. And um, that's one of the struggles is getting choice to kids equitably. Another challenge on the business, and you've written about this for years, I mean, long before the series, 
is the challenge sometimes of operating a school in a sustainable fashion. I mean, you've been writing about you know, the, the Monticello, Montessori School in, in Idaho Falls and their financial challenges. And, and it's not unique. You know, we've had these schools run into problems just in terms of sustainable, stable operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something you see in traditional schools too, but it, it has in some communities uh, been a big problem for some of these charters and trying to understand, you know, why that is. I've talked to, to lawmakers and administrators, you know, Senator Lent from Idaho Falls, he's, he's pushed a bill in, in past years to require training for school board members. Um, and that's, that's a, you know, a, a, a heated topic in and of itself. But when, when I talked to him, he said, that's one of the reasons he specifically pointed to charter schools, because in some communities you have a smaller student body, you have fewer parents and volunteers who are, who have kids going to the school, who, who would be interested in maybe serving on a charter school board. So you're drawing from maybe a smaller pool of people. There's, there's different theories for why some of these, some of these schools struggle, but there have definitely been some major oversight issues at charters across the state, which is another struggle because in Idaho, you have the Idaho uh, public charter school commission, which is tasked with overseeing most of the state's charter schools. And, you know, a lot of folks are wondering why when some of these lingering, you know, financial challenges continue, why they don't just close a school down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in talking to some, some leaders in the state and some folks there at the Charter Commission, um, you have, you know, it's, it, closing a school is not an easy thing to do, no. right? You have... No. Students who are going to the school, you have um, you have uh, jobs that the school provides, there's mm-hmm. teachers and things like that. And so it's that's another challenge that uh, that has accompanied charter schools is when you do have a charter school that um, is here and it's just not happening and there's questions about finance or continually a low performance. Um, one of the struggles is is getting those schools to improve the situation. Um, and not having to, sh- to shut them down, which is a tough thing to do. A couple of the other challenges facing charter schools 20 years out, and you wrote about it in the series, and this is a challenge for the schools themselves, it's for the charter commission as well. The first is that that gulf between the high-performing charter schools and the low-performing charter schools. Mm-hmm. Not a new problem. I mean, this goes back well before the pandemic. Is there any prospect for bridging some of those gaps or, or is it just uh is it really difficult to do yeah that's it that's a good question kevin it for the series i was hoping to be able to have some more clear-cut answers uh in 2017 i i, I kind of dug into what you're talking about for the first time and there was a, a, a report presented to the state board of education where it really came to light some of these schools are, are the highest performing in the state and some of us, some of them are the lowest performing in the state. And that report opened quite a few eyeballs. Uh, Bloom, we talk about Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their focus has shifted to to closing that gap and and helping schools. You know, helping uh, more charters perform at a higher level and start up at, and perform at a higher level. 
The data right now, though, is is tricky. With you know, from what we were told with COVID and things like that, the the commission does not have the same comparisons that it provided in 2017 to the state board. So we had to go through and look specifically at schools, and we did the you know the best we could with what was available. And the gaps are still there, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the schools that we looked at. And those were dozens of schools we compared and, and the gaps. And when we talk about gaps, we're talking about, um, you know, there are issues at charters with the same, same types of learning gaps in traditional schools where, you know, at-risk students um, and students of color typically perform lower in, the, in charter schools. Um, there, it's the achievement gap hmm. that, that's so often spoke of in education. And, um, you know, so that's been a focus of Bloom's and Terry Ryan, the CEO of Bloom, has talked quite a bit about that. Uh, but really right now, the numbers, they still reflect those gaps. Uh, you know, he says, give us some time to play out. And, um, you know, they've, they've done some things when, when schools start up, uh, there's more of a focus for Bloom on uh, providing or starting schools that address those types of challenges specifically and serve a more diverse group of students in efforts to, to improve their performance. <laughs> but the numbers are still, uh, you know, the gaps are still definitely there. And I should note, uh, Bloom is uh, a nonprofit funded by the uh, Albertson Found Family Foundation, as is Idaho Education News. Let's talk about the demographics and the challenges in terms of drawing a more broad student body, a more broad student population into charters, because that's, that's always struck me as interesting about the Idaho charter experience, is that in a lot of states, charter schools cater to, you know, urban communities to, you know, at-risk student populations, not so much in Idaho. And this is a, an issue that's been, you know, following the sector for years, long before the pandemic. Is there any movement there that you see? Yeah, it's, it is something that we, that we looked at again. There's a lot of factors. I think when you talk to experts across the state that, that can influence that, you know, some charters still don't provide free or reduced price meals for kids. Uh, transportation is another challenge. Uh, if, you know, if, if a school doesn't provide busing services, then those students are left to get to the school on their own. And so those types of issues can disenfranchise some, some student populations and contribute to lack of diversity in charter schools. We revisited some of those. We've reported on those things over the years, and and you know, folks can go and check this out in the series. Those some of those problems are still there. Some of those issues are still there, um, where you know schools aren't providing those services. And so overall, you know, there is still uh, a lack of compared to traditional schools, a lack of diversity in charter schools. Um, but it is something that's been discussed for years and. Again, it kind of goes in, in, in the same vein with some of, the, some of the, um, the things that Bloom is trying to tackle uh, with serving you know, at-risk students and more diverse student bodies, um, but the gaps are still definitely there. The series has been out now for a couple of weeks. You've had a chance to maybe hear from readers, from, you know, from the community. What's been the feedback and where does it leave you go next in terms of reporting on charters? Uh, 
Um, you know, in talking to Jen Thompson, who's the director of the Idaho Public Charter School Commission, one of the challenges with data that she pointed to, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but was that not only COVID, but the, the Charter Commission has been uh, in the process of revamping its performance framework. And, you know, we haven't seen yet what that, we haven't seen um, those those uh, new, the new data come in yet with, since that's been done. Um, but she's, she's hopeful that uh, it will be easy, more easily, more easy to see um, what kind of progress has been made in charter mm-hmm. schools in terms of diversity and in terms of closing the achievement gap. So that's one thing that we'll be watching for when the, when the Charter Commission um, reveals that new framework and they start using it and we'll see how ho- hopefully the data is a little bit more accessible. We'll be watching that closely, but you know, it's interesting. The response has been, we've covered charters for years. And one thing I hear again and again is, you know, the the school is just, it's not always about performance. Parents, you know, they choose a school for lots of reasons and a school might be lower performing, but their student might thrive better, do better at that school. Um, and as opposed to what their situation was in the traditional school district. And so that's another, uh, something I hear again and again is, you know, we, we support the schools um, regardless of where the performance is at. Um, that's a big one that I hear again and again is uh, we, we just, our kid loves the school, so we're going to keep sending them there. Right. But it comes down to that personal choice, that personal comfort level. Choice, choice is a big deal for for these, for these many of the families. And that's, again, led to some debate within the charter community itself is what are these schools really for? We know at the outset that, that performance was a big part of it and in boosting uh, achievement. Uh, but for, for many families in the charter community, it's, it's all about that choice. Uh, they want to have the, the, the choice and... It's not always about academics. It felt like we were talking about this series for a year and a half because literally we were in staff meetings and, and it was a challenge to see it through. And it's, uh, it was good talking to you about the series now that it's done, Devin. I uh, appreciate uh, you walking us through it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Anytime. Again, that was Devin Bodkin. He is our reporter based in eastern Idaho. If you haven't already read Devin's series on charter schools titled More Choices, More Challenges, I encourage you to do so. You can find the stories at our homepage, idahoednews.org. Just click on the Featured Series tab at the top of the homepage, and you'll find his uh, stories right there. You'll also find our other projects uh, over the past few months, including my pet project, looking at higher education enrollment during the pandemic. That'll wrap it up for the podcast this week, but there is a lot to get to on our homepage. If you haven't already read some of these stories, I would uh, encourage you to check them out. Uh, I have coverage from Boise State University President Marlene Trump's State of the University address. You can see what she had to say to students and staff. Uh, Governor Brad Little named two new members to the State Board of Education. You can find out who they are. ISAT scores came out earlier this week. Blake Jones breaks down the numbers and explains what we saw during the pandemic and a project that I'm really excited about that we were able to do this week. Uh, The Boston Globe published a series of stories and an editorial about vaccine hesitancy 
and partnered with more than 50 news organizations around the country, and we were one. I wrote an analysis piece looking at the vaccine issue and vaccine hesitancy in Idaho and the sense of urgency surrounding vaccinations as the Delta variant continues to spread across the state. So check all of that out at idahoednews.org. And keep an eye on us this week. Uh, It's going to be a busy uh, next few days um, as we look ahead to uh, next week. State Board of Education will meet. They have a lot on their calendar, including mask mandates on the university campuses. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's Education Task Force meets on Thursday. This is the meeting where we're expecting to see public comments, and we're also expecting to see recommendations. We will have full coverage of that meeting. As mentioned, colleges and universities uh, open for fall classes on Monday. We will have full coverage of that. We'll have full coverage of K-12 as uh, public schools open for the fall. And of course, we will be keeping a close eye on the coronavirus uh, numbers and statistics and trends as the Delta variant continues to complicate the process of opening schools for 2021. Check out all of our stories at idahoednews.org. You can follow us on Twitter. We uh, tweet out our links and any breaking news and any bulletins, so follow us there. Join us on Facebook and be part of the conversation there. And check back next Friday for another edition of this podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good weekend.